RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Previously on Mission Log Live, it was Mission Log Live, the show where you get together with us to talk Star Trek. And now, the continuation. I'm Ken Ray, and John Champion... Well, John Champion's living the good life. Strolling the Champs-Élysées, maybe, or taking in a show at the Moulin Rouge. En France is our trusted co-host. And we're happy to be joined this week by Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. He of Portal 47. He of the Trek Files. He will be along in a bit. Uh, just so we're clear, Larry is not here as a guest exactly. He is here to be part of the conversation. The conversation that we have every week and that we hope you'll take part in as well. How do you do that? So glad you asked. You can join our Zoom meeting from our Facebook page. You can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can use that phone as a phone and give us a call. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. This week, it is the 10th episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season, The Red Angel. As John Champion might say, you know it's The Red Angel because it's the one with The Red Angel. Did you know what it was going to be? Did you know it was going to be Michael's mom? When did you know it was going to be Michael's mom? Are you glad it's Michael's mom? That's basically one topic, but there are so many more. Bring them to the table, please. Join our Zoom meeting. Use the one tap from your smartphone or call 669-900-6833. 669-900-6833. Let's say hello to everybody watching on Facebook. Um, hello, everybody watching on Facebook. John's so good at that because he watches and he sees things and he doesn't need glasses. Uh, let's see. Daniel's there. Evan's there. Jason's there. And that's everybody I saw right then. So, hey, everybody. Um, if you're leaving comments on Facebook, that's great because you guys can have a conversation there. But really, if you want to be part of the show, do give us a call. 669-900-6833 or use the one top from your smartphone or join the Zoom meeting at our Facebook page. Um, I make light of the fact that I can't read the screen while I'm reading this screen, but we do thank everybody for checking us out live on Facebook, or if you're catching the video later, uh, much later, at youtube.com slash Prod. That is fantastic. Or certainly, if you're catching the audio-only podcast, that's great. Whatever way you're getting this show, we really do thank you. We really do appreciate it. We do, of course, have one more favor to ask. If you could hit like or share wherever you're finding that, that would be fantastic because the more sharing you do, the more people find out about it and the more people get to join our conversation. Now, we do have events coming up. John and I usually talk about that. Uh, Larry and I are going to talk about it in a minute because Larry's got an event that I get to be part of and I, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm excited. So we'll find out whether he's excited or not in a moment. There is an ongoing thing that we're doing, though. You've heard us talk for the past few weeks about Scott Palm and his work in schools toward inclusion and against bullying. Uh, for years, Scott has used stories from Star Trek to teach caregivers how to work with people with disabilities, as well as teaching bullying prevention and giving presentations across the U.S. Now, through his Star Trek fandom and his friendship with pop culture hero coalition's Chase Masterson, Scott has developed the heroic curriculum. There are two goals with the heroic curriculum. Uh, first, teaching kids with serious physical disabilities, resilience, healthy identity, breaking barriers, and other crucial mental health and life skills. And then second, teaching the peers of children with disabilities, inclusion, ending marginalization, and how to be an ally. Now, I said he's done this across the country. Uh, one thing you may have noticed, getting from one part of the country to the other is not free. Uh, supplying materials and supplying training is not free. And that's why we're asking for your help and your donations can help Scott continue the great work that he's doing. And then we're going to make your donation go twice as far. The Roddenberry Foundation, I say we, I'm part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Roddenberry Foundation is a separate thing, but Roddenberry um, has agreed to match every dollar raised for the heroic program to ensure Scott's message reaches as many kids as possible. So your donation not only supports the equipment and materials needed to implement the programming, but also supports Scott and his assistant, Forrest, uh, for the time needed to visit schools and personally reach students with the valuable messages of self-worth and inclusion. Now, we're way behind on where we want to be on this fundraiser, but I'm not putting it on you uh, to make up that difference. What I'm asking you to do, please, is look over Scott's work. 
see what's needed, and then uh, do what you can. There are two easy ways to do that. You can either go to the GoFundMe page, actually. So quickest way to find that, go to GoFundMe.com and search for Scott Palm Heroic. Because I tried looking for heroic, and there were a ton of things. Tried looking for Scott Palm, and there were a ton of things. Uh, if you look, look for uh, Scott Palm Heroic, though, that's going to take you straight to it. Or you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. And uh, we got it pinned near the top. So look for a link there as well. Uh, Scott's doing important work. And it would mean a lot if you could help him. And then we can double the help that you give. So search for Scott Palm Heroic at GoFundMe.com or look for the link on the Facebook page on our Facebook page. That is Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod. And thank you very much for doing that. Now, I mentioned that we have a co-host tonight. That co-host is Larry Nemechek. I mentioned that Larry's got an exciting thing to tell you about. Uh, So who better to tell you about the exciting thing that Larry Nemechek is going to tell you about than Larry Nemechek? Oh, Dr. Trek, are you there, sir? I am indeed here, Ken. Yes. Thank you very much, first of all, for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. Because well, John's like, you know. Yeah. He's whatever. off having whatever fun. Gallivanting is what my stepfather would say. He's <laughs> off gallivanting in a foreign country even. Yes, a foreign continent even. Is that, uh, is, uh, is what, what's French for gallivanting? Gallivante? Maybe. You got you to kind of figure it might actually already be a French word. I'm not 100% it's been, uh, horribly anglified. Uh, yeah. No, and I had to, you know, I had to get into the spirit of things here and and uh, haberdash myself up a little bit. I don't thank don't goodness do the thing on Tuesday Live, but for Mission Log, of course. Yeah, not me. I think I've done it like once, and I felt all wrinkled and silly, and like I was a, like I was a sportscaster on a college TV station or something like that. No, so. no, you've got the stylish outer layer there. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. So, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. My Fred Rogers look that I'm going for with a little Star Trek on the side. Uh, so we got a thing that we're doing. That's what I'm wanting to say. Okay. okay. What's funny is I actually do change my shoes when I come in. But we didn't have to tell anybody about any of that. Okay. I'm, We've got a thing coming up Saturday. Yes. This Saturday. Please tell people what we're doing. And, uh, and I look forward to finding out as well. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You'll know when it's time. You'll know when it's time. No, if you are in, of course, if you're at WonderCon, uh, Saturday seems to be the big Star Trek day. But um, there's several podcasts. There's an official visual effects uh, panel during the day, uh, during the afternoon. But at seven o'clock, hang around for the whole the whole, you know, meet of the day. Uh, we have a, another return of our Southern Cal um, podcasters Trek panel. Uh, that yes, you're in. We have really quickly. Uh, forgive me, really quickly. When you said uh, uh, WonderCon, that's in Anaheim. That is in Anaheim. Yes. Yeah. Okay. For people, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's it's like the little brother for Star Trek for for San Diego Comic Con uh, that they've owned, and it's shifted around, but it's back in Anaheim, just adjacent to Disneyland, and yeah, it's and it's gotten bigger. It's still much more laid back than Humongoloid uh, San Diego Comic Con, but. Um, They've been good to have us let me do panels, have me do panel panels. And this year we've got our, our podcasting group that kind of keeps evolving. But this year at 7 o'clock in room 211. Um, I, you know, two or three months ago when you have to submit these, I didn't know exactly what would be top of the news. But I, I like talking about discovery and official track and fandom and whatever else. So I just gave it a name of fun furors and fixes because I didn't know what would be going on. But. We've got podcasters. You, we have Kenna from um, Priority One, um, Aaron Harvey, who's at uh, Trek FM's um, uh, Saturday Morning, morning Trek. Trek. Yes, yeah. and uh, now Christine Rideout was going to. Since we lost Kayla to the Great Wilds of Texas, Kayla Icavino, uh from from Trek Movies Shuttle Pod, we had Christine Rideout scheduled to be in, and she had something come up. So the man himself, Anthony Pascali, is going to join the panel. So I hope everybody makes it. Uh, down Saturday night. So yeah, seven o'clock Saturday. And then I'm going to have a Trekland Portal 47 meetup at the nearest bar who we can commodore, we can uh, commandeer, commandeer commodore. That would be helpful. Mm. Uh, and take people over for a meetup for some of my projects and just hang out. So afterwards, but very cool. Itself, 211. Be there. Okay. You especially. Yeah, I- I have planned to be, yeah, because there might even be a sign with my name on it. And, you know, Lord I- knows I like to steal those. Yeah. 
I uh, got one last thing to tell people about before we get to uh, the other stuff that we're going to get to. Um, we do still have our special secret event happening in the Roddenberry Theater in Samsar that is still set for the 11th of April. Um, we're going to do a thing there, whether we're going to do the thing we want to do or not. There's a technical hurdle that we have been assured we're going to be able to get over. But, you know, until I can actually put my head into the virtual space and see it working, I'm still reticent to say exactly what it is. I'm excited about it if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, I'm excited about the other thing that we're going to do instead. But I still can't say what it is. But Thursday night, the 11th of April, uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, because that time seems to work so well. So please circle that on your calendar and be in virtual space. I'm going to hit the poll really quickly. Last week, we asked the poll question, Arium's future, space junk, or coming back? It's kind of a similar question this week, isn't it, Earl? Uh, Yeah. So last week, the question was, Arium, space junk, or coming back? A really tight divide on this one. 53% say space junk. She shall not return. Uh, Coming back. Oh, you'll like this, Larry. 47. Oh, see? Yeah, 47% say she's coming back this week. Commonly random. Similar question. Have we seen the last of Leland? Uh, man, there's there's really no division on this one. Uh, yes, we've seen the last of Leland. 17%. No, 83%. So apparently people, he got poked right in the eye too. But apparently people, uh, you know, not talk convinced about, that that was the last that we'll see of him. Yeah. Talk about seeing red. Oh, yeah. hello. There you this go. Is the, uh, yeah. Discovery is the great recycling show. Nothing ever Goes away. You know, I made that I made that joke a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was last week. I can't remember when we asked the question about Arium. I was like, "Of course she's coming back." Because if there's one thing that the writers on Discovery don't know how to do, it's throw anything away and let it stay gone. Ah, wait, hold on though, because I see you about to make a point, but I got to do the recap first, and then we'll get into all the points really quickly though. Before we even do that, six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three. Uh, I told Mr. Nemechek, you know, not to worry because people have been calling in so much. So come on, 669-900-6833 or use the one top from your smartphone or uh, go to our Facebook page and uh, and click the link there. Mr. Nemechek is ready, but I certainly want to hear from that mission log audience. Tonight. Well, we got to do the recap. Well, yeah, yeah. And then we got to do the time. recap and then you and I. When it's we'll, time. We'll just go at it like 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 animals over a, over a thing that animals like. Okay. Here we go. Recapping episode 10, The Red Angel. So, Arium's still dead. Memory completely erased. Eulogy said, burial at space. Leaving the funeral, Burnham and Ash Tyler end up in a turbo lift. Sure, she likes him, but Section 31, that is a deal breaker. Section 31 created Control. Control evolved to a future AI that wipes out all Sunday life in the galaxy and got Arium killed, and that's who Tyler wants to be? Going over Arium's data, Tilly found something interesting. According to Arium's data, the biosignature of the Red Angel is a match with the Starfleet officer. Michael Burnham is the Red Angel. Culber even confirms it. Apparently, at some point, she'll become a time traveler and try to save the galaxy. But why is she creating the path she's creating? What's she trying to guide Discovery to? Wondering interrupted by Section 31. Leland and Giorgio coming aboard, not to make an arrest, but to fight the future. The plan, catch the Red Angel, keep it from traveling back and forth through time, since one of those jumps maybe opened a tunnel for the future AI to come back to our time or something. What makes them think they can catch the Red Angel? Yeah, funny story. Section 31 kind of built the Red Angel. 20 years ago, they found out the Klingons were working on time travel. So Section 31 started working on time travel in the form of Project Daedalus, which ended with a Red Angel suit. They think they can figure out how to trap it once they see it, but how do you see it? There's no obvious pattern to the appearances. Burnham will work on that while 31 and part of Discovery's crew work on the trap itself. Of course, we know Burnham has issues with Section 31. If she's putting her life in their hands, she wants to know what she doesn't know. Giorgio says she's not the one Burnham should be asking. Go talk to Leland. Leland finally tells Burnham the truth about the death of her parents. Burnham's mom, she was working on Project Daedalus for Section 31. It was all going great except for the time crystal Leland had stolen to make the suit go. 
The Klingons found out about the crystal, then came for it, killing Michael's parents in the process. So Leland is responsible for her parents' death. Now, I'm not huge on violence, but watching Michael drop Leland with a couple of punches upon hearing the news was kind of satisfying. Bumping into Tyler in the corridor, Burnham gives him another earful about working with 31. He offers a defense about which she does not care. We interrupt this show for Culber. He's having a heart-to-heart with Cornwell, who used to be a therapist. They talk about the hurt he's causing Stamets, about how weird he feels since coming back from the dead. She offers advice you might find on a motivational coffee cup. The only way to forge a new path is to walk it. Good talk. In the gym, Burnham's beating the tar out of a punching dummy. Spot comes to drop some knowledge on Michael. None of the bad things for which she's been carrying so much guilt are her fault. Also, she's been there to see her deck Leland. Also, he accepts her apology. Also, none of that is actually what he came to tell her. What he actually came to tell her is why the Red Angel appears when the Red Angel appears. It's saving Michael's life. Makes sense, right? She's got to live long enough to save the galaxy. Every time she knows she's about to die, she's swooping in from out of time, just in time to save her younger self. So here's the plan. They're going to kill Michael Burnham and trust that she, as the Red Angel, will save herself. Culber will be there to revive Burnham should she you know, actually die, which she won't, probably, because the Red Angel will save her, probably. Pike and Giorgio hate this idea, but they agree. Burnham kisses Tyler goodbye. If they happen to be their last words, she doesn't want their last words to have been angry. The plan's execution is very dramatic. It seriously doesn't look like the Angel is showing up. Burnham's taking serious damage, though Spock holds people back at the point of a phaser from saving Burnham before the Red Angel arrives, which the Red Angel finally does. Time to spring the trap. Leland has some problems getting the necessary power to the trap, first because of a technical issue, then because he's kind of dead. Apparently, control still has a bit of control, and it turns out many things are better than a poke in the eye. Of course, no one knows that Leland's dead. In fact, He may not actually be dead. Either way, the power needed to trap the angel is supplied. With the time traveler unable to travel through time, time for Michael Burnham to face a revived Michael Burnham. But the red angel isn't Michael. It's her mom. And that's it for this episode. The end. Uh, Larry, I should have I should have prepped you on this part. Uh, This is usually the part where, where John tells me what a fantastic job I did. And then uh, you did. You know. I, I was no, no, no. Back. The wild horses were back here. And uh, no, no, no. Now, see, the other thing is uh, I, I do that for John as well. So I, I just realized I didn't tell you, hey, that's the part where you should say something so I can go. No, that and was calm myself down. Yes. Delivered in your uh, normally kinnerific way. And that's, I, was, I was uh, snarkily smiling at some of those bits. So uh, because that's basically the way it, I took it, too. Hey, I said we didn't have any callers and suddenly we do. So let me remind people six, six, nine, nine hundred six, eight, three, three is the phone number to call six, six, nine, nine hundred six, eight, three, three. Or you can use the one top from your smartphone or you can uh, just join us through the Facebook page as well. Really quickly, um, before we get to Karen, it looks like. I think Karen is going to be our first caller. But before we go there, was there any particular point that you pulled from this episode, Larry? Is there one thing that, you know, you watched it and you walked around and you kept coming back to this one thing? Was there an idea that sort of jumped out at you or uh, do you want to go to Karen? Oh, a couple of things. Um, Okay. One was, uh, wow, Klingons were working on time travel in 2237, which... Which which house, by the way? There are 24 houses. Exactly. Well, there are 24... There are 24 weakened, disunified houses. So who had the chutzpah to come up with, you know, with that? Um, yeah. And, and, and for the culture well, that disrespects science, right? So Yeah, right. Well, there are 24 houses. I was thinking earlier, like, is there an unnamed house that we haven't, you know, seen yet? But sort of like if you go back to those shots in the first season, is there like a, you know, like sort of a group of wallflowers all dressed in silver standing in the back? With the, like, man, we nearly had this whole thing. All, all looking like uh, Von Armstrong in Time Traveler Klingon outfits. Um, the other thing was just, boy, how it's like, did they suddenly lose the contract for Starfleet door chimes? Um, I mean, I've been talking about telepathic turbo lifts lately, but this was the show where 
people just walk in on everybody. I mean, Tilly gets the comedy routine for it, but everybody does it. It seems like I, that was just kind of interesting to watch, but, and <laughs> that, and I wish we'd had this national raffle because now I would love to know how many people had Michael's mom as the red angel. I will be honest. I didn't. I have thought I knew this whole time who the red angel was. Um, I'll tell you who I thought it was too. Cause I can go ahead and blow that now. Cause it wasn't, um, I thought it was Jacob. I thought it was Jacob from New Eden. Oh wow, that's a deep cut. That's a. It's only because he's. It's only because he said like so. So uh, Pike gives him that bit of technology that he didn't have, right? Mm-hmm. And then Pike says to Jacob, "I hope we meet again." And Jacob says to him, "I know we will." Now I think it's still possible that Jacob turns back up somehow, but I thought somehow he was going to end up having been the Red Angel because, you know, mm-hmm. because. We can spill all these Red Angel theories all we want, because the bottom line with Discovery is I'm still not convinced it's over till it's over. I mean, no, no, no I, I think out of the suit and she says, Mom, but three, shows, yeah. three episodes from now. But that was Red Angel number one. And, right. Red Angel, you know, Arium <laughs> version oh, no. 2.5 Red Angel was I don't know. I'll tell you, honestly, I do think Michael Burnham is going to be the Red Angel at least a little bit because I do believe the whole biosignature thing. Because uh, Colbert said, like, I'd know if it was fake. Now, of course, all of Starfleet didn't know that they had faked the holograms about Spock and all that stuff. But I think I think even though it turns out it wasn't Burnham, we're going to see her in that suit before it's all over. I, in some way, because they've got the capacity to build it. Right. I mean, um, uh, yeah. George, was just chomping at the bit to go build her own suit right now again. But oh, no, I mean, probably. the whole, yeah, the red herring there was, oh, it's Michael, her, your biosignature. Well, it's her mom. So the DNA is, you know, adjacent or whatever. So yeah. Plus, yeah. it's always fun to say your mom. Uh, let's see. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call or use the one tap from your smartphone or use the, uh, the, the link in our Facebook page, which of course, uh, for people listening, not right now, facebook.com slash mission log pod. Uh, Karen. Yes. Is here. Hello, Karen. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you this evening? Good. I finally uh, videoed in instead of called. Excellent. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? Oh, well, I am probably like the odd man out. I seem to be, but I loved the episode really a lot. Um, I uh, I find it interesting. Did you guys find that it was talky? I see this complaint about it by a lot of people that it mm-hmm. was a that it was rather talky and I I don't know. I was so drawn into all of the character moments that it didn't and it was very, very exciting. Um, I watch it with a friend. In fact, Larry, I've kind of told you on the internet about, we have had a little conversation. She's an extremely casual watcher. She oh yes. Has, I remember this now. Yes. Uh-huh. Only seen the next generation when it aired and I got her to watch discovery last this summer and she loves it. And it's so funny because she was climbing out of her skin through the whole thing. I mean, she, she made me watch, she made me run it again. I mean, we watched it, which made me, I enjoyed it so much. I don't, (laughs) but so we watched it again right after we watched it. So, and you know, she has a a lot of the questions. I see the, the plot things that people are picking on. Why did she have to suffocate? Um, Personally, I feel like that steak was because it was true peril, you know, mm-hmm. a, a hypo spray it doesn't, doesn't create that true peril. So we have no idea how she knows how the angel knows that Michael's in danger, but you know, that was creating a situation yeah. that was much more serious. And it's interesting to me that you say that the episode that you're hearing people say that the episode was too talky because I, I would like to see more talk. I would like to add like, I want next week to be a reckoning between Michael Burnham and her mom, not like a fight, but she's got a lot of explaining to do and we're we're not going to hear it. I feel certain we're not going to see it, but I, I, I would like a bit more self-examination personally, which only comes through, I think conversation or through discussion as opposed to sort of the quick hits we get. Like, like I made light of the conversation between Culber and Cornwell that's that's far too short for for everything that happened to him and and the conversation that happened between non and um, and uh, and Burnham in the corridor it's yeah. a good moment but it that needed to be more than a moment to me that needed to be a bit a bit more talk 
And yet the scene in the gym with Spock and Burnham, you know, that was, that has quickly become my favorite scene ever. I just love that scene so much. And I just thought it was so good. And that was really given the time and the space, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. the, and I, I totally see that breathing thing. I do feel like no one, you know, it had, they haven't nailed that balance of how to let the scenes breathe a little more. And yet they're long, you know, they're pretty long episodes, even, you know, they've, this season have, they've been, most of them have been decent lengths, you know, yeah. Yeah. but I really, well, Ken, my, my glass half full to your point was I was shocked that there was a Burnham, um, uh, non scene, for example. Like I thought that was just a moment that was gone and to actually have them come back. And yes, of course, in real life, it would have been a little lengthier. It would have been five lines and a handshake. The handshake was interesting too. It was so stiff mm-hmm. and formal, but no, it seemed like they were intentionally going through and, and like tying up these little knots and, and, the Culber walking in, speaking of people just walking into rooms. Hi, I'm in the engineering lab looking for, uh, for Edward. Cornwell. Yeah. Right. That, in the was, middle. that was an odd thing, but that was, but, a drive- uh, yeah. That was, oh, well, boy- I haven't, that was the boyfriend drive by where <laughs> you really want to, you're going to go by the house and just see if they're out in the yard. And if they are, maybe you can swing in and talk. But, oh, gosh, there's people here. So, no, really, I was looking for – that's what that was. That was totally a boyfriend drive-by. By the guy who was the one who, who quite rightly, quite understandably, initiated the trial separation while I figure out my new life. Sure, why not? I mean, that was – yeah, you know, that's what that was. <laughs> or it was just another setup for a great little Tilly punchline. So, you know. Hey, maybe. Yeah, the what was that was actually that was probably my favorite. That was probably my favorite funny moment in this entire episode. Um, Karen, do you have anything else on your mind tonight? Um, well, nothing specific. I uh, just wanted to say I sure could watch Burnham and Spock all day. I don't know why those two seem to have such a chemistry. I just enjoy all of their scenes so much. So I was very glad this week to have them not be fighting the whole time. It was great to have them finally come to a place where they could sit and actually discuss, uh, which is great because even if you don't want to talk about rewriting Spock, even if you want to talk about recasting Spock, the fact that, I mean, logically, there's no point in hating her forever. <laughs> there's just, there's just not. And so for them to, for them to come to a place where they could actually meet and, and talk as opposed to meet and fight. Right. Was, it was great to say. Really, we really only had like an episode and a half of that. And he did say, until you realize that you do this thing, we cannot communicate. He said that last episode. Hmm. And he said, you were right. I do this thing. You know, you know he, that was his crux there. That was one of, that was, seemed to be very pointed to me anyhow. It was interesting interjection and that's what happened here she said oh boy you are right i do this and he looks at her and then that was able to continue on he felt like okay now we're connecting and i can talk to you you know of course i just thought that scene was great but and visually i mean of course everything here was beautiful yeah i have to uh, i have to we got another call lined up but i gotta thank you Really, because you have honestly given me a better appreciation for this episode than I had coming into tonight's episode. So thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to see you, Karen. Yeah, thank you. Off Twitter. I do appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone, or you can go to uh, facebook.com slash mission log pod and click the link there. And then you can be just like Karen, who was on by video, or you can be like Paul, who is up now. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, Ken. Good evening, hey, Larry. Uh, hey, Paul. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Great. Hey, you sound, you sound great. What's on your mind tonight? Well... I wanted to talk about theories of what the Red Angel was. I thought your idea of um, it being Jacob was quite interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> but I, was... I, have, I have theories way back from episode two, the New Eden. Mm-hmm. You know, I just felt that, I, well, I thought, it, I thought we were going to get um, 
I thought we were going to get sort of an Apollo type of situation where the angels were going to be aliens that had been visiting Earth, saving mm. people or bringing messages to people throughout history. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that that disappeared a couple episodes ago. <laughs> that theory just you know evaporated. But um, it it all seemed to be that they were leading in that direction, at least to me, because uh, you know the, the fact that they they gave us a captain who was both spiritually and you know technology had some background in spirituality and some background in religious theory, and put him on the one ship that was able to make it to the other side of the galaxy to help save. Um, New Eden or whatever they call that planet. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm terrible about that. Elysium <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, there seemed to be a plan. There seemed Terrible. to be some sort of long-term plan because, you know, the Enterprise was out of, out of whack and it was the only ship that was having that problem. It put Pike on Discovery. They were able to go and do these things. I mean, Pike actually said it in that episode, I believe. It's something about, you know, he quoted a Arthur C. Clarke, I believe, about how mm -hmm. anyone with superior technology would actually be thought of as being God or being like God. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, but it was close. And um, even the fact that, you know, Spock was being visited by an angel, almost like a prophet. So, I mean, it was, it, it all seemed to be moving in that direction. <laughs> so, I, but, you know, of course, I'm, when they started talking about time travel, I was like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> Let's do something. Yeah. Better. Let me ask you a question where there had been so many questions about um, faith, where there had been so many uh, introducing the possibility of religion. Uh, do you feel better or worse that it turns out the angel suit is something that was built by somebody in the Federation 20 years ago? I, I thought we were going to get an advanced technology, not just something that we come up with. And I don't know what this time crystal thing was. It seems kind of, well, they pulled that out. You know, I, I don't <laughs> well, I, I, if time memory, crystal. We need to do that. If memory serves, they talked about the time crystal last year in the Harry Mudd episode, didn't they? Man, oh, maybe they did. I'd have to go back and rewatch it, so I, I don't remember. But um, I, I think that's right. But that sounds like the Harry Mudd. I, I, it kind of sat with me odd. I mean, somebody very sarcastically this, this week somewhere on the great interwebs. Was, was starting off a, you know, moaning about, oh, time crystal. Great. Why can't they have it be a good old fashioned, you know, structured, scientifically based Star Trek method like slingshot around the sun or orb of time or big giant concrete donut or, you know, and went through the 52 different ways to, <laughs> to time travel we've already seen. But time, yeah. something about time crystal just makes me expect for a bunch of elves and gnomes to come out with it, you know, and Jim Henson to be building puppets to bring it to me or something. A temporal crystal or a chronoton crystal would have made it feel more Star Trek-ish. But yeah, it was, I just want to say that's the Harry Mudd term for it. And then we can wash our hands of, of silliness. Well, so Harry Mudd apparently like speaks so highly of it that everybody calls it a time crystal now. Cause chronoton is that, is that with a K? Is that with a C-H-R? How do you spell chronoton? Call it a mud crystal. <laughs> call it a mud crystal. I like that. That would honestly might actually be uh that might be better. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, I am a tiny bit torn. On the one hand, I wasn't overly happy that we were necessarily going to spend the whole season, you know, discussing the possibility of, 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 of faith or the divine or something like that, because that seems to sort of backtrack from where Star Trek had gotten to at one point. But then to get halfway through the season and go, yeah, we thought we were going to be talking about the you know, God, but we're not. Don't worry. We're just going to talk about we're going to talk about Burnham's mom because we don't talk about Burnham and Burnham's family enough. So you know, let's let's bring it back. Well, like you said last week, it is the Burnham show. So we well, that was that was. Uh, oh yeah, I did say that, didn't I? Somebody else said that too. But yeah, yeah. I you know I don't mind. I like Burnham. I think that she's an interesting character. I think that she's a uh, you know she has complications. Yeah, I like the relationship she has with Spock, and I and I thought that. This last, this last episode, you said it earlier, this was, a, you know, they, they sort of like tried to wrap up a lot of loose ends and just sort of like connect people with, you know, sort of like move on to like, let's get to the mystery of the, the angel. And then we'll spend the next four episodes. First, we'll find out what M Mama Burnham was doing. And then we'll solve the problem of the future AI. So, um, but uh, yeah, it was, it, yeah, what, what, um, yeah, what, what we, Karen was saying about Spock, that was, that was a great, that was a great moment between the two of them. And, you know, they, they had it out 
they worked it through and now they're now he's got her back again and that's you know that seems to me like something uh, siblings would do <laughs> i also like the fact there was a there was a, and correct me if i'm wrong larry or or you know or paul um i like the fact that spock and burnham seemed on the same page the, the only way this plan was going to work was with the two of them because when she said what if this doesn't work Spock said, well, then I'm going to be, you know, charged again with killing a Starfleet officer, and I'd rather that not happen. So it seems pretty obvious that they both knew that nobody else was going to let it go the distance that it had to go. Spock knew, because somebody I was talking to, I can't remember who, but somebody I was talking to said that they were surprised that it came down to Spock on, you know, holding everybody else at gunpoint. I think they knew that was what it was coming to before they even started, those two. I think Burnham and Spock knew that because everybody else would have... Well, everybody else tried to cave, tried to like, you know, get her out before the actual moment of, uh, before the moment of true peril, I suppose. Which is another neat, another neat thing to see between the two of them that they know each other well enough to know that, first of all, nobody else is going to have the strength to do what they're going to do, but they are going to have the strength to do it as well. Do we know that, um, little Burnham left at that moment when she tried to run away, or was there more to their relationship beyond that one horrible moment? I mean, you know, she was still a little girl who was, you know, who was taking care of her after she no, tried to sure. away. I thought they brought her back to, uh, they brought, they brought, yeah. Okay. She, okay. she went through the equivalent of high school before he farmed her out to Starfleet, right? Okay. Right. I, I thought so. I thought so. So, yeah, they, they've known each other for, they've had a, I mean, you know, when I was in high school, my brother and I didn't always get along either. So. <laughs> Well, you had to, they had to melt this thaw. Otherwise, the eventual, you know, the the end point that we're all getting to is why didn't he mention her? You know, in in the great scope of things. So, to start off with them at odds, we have to have dramatically. We've got to get to them having you know made up before the tragedy of something that's going to happen down the line. You know, if he, if they just hated each other constantly, and then we get to the end of the season, and he doesn't mention her, well, that would be. That'd be a little on the nose. So we've got to have a well, we've got to have some tra- tragedy get involved here. So now that they've they're they're talking and working together, something's got to spin out of control. I will say, I will say though, really quickly, there is precedent for him not talking about a, a sibling. <laughs> it's fine, you know. If it doesn't come up, it doesn't come up. That's that seems to be Spock's way. Tragedy. There's there's a uh, there's backstory for him not talking about anything. Right, exactly. I don't feel like it. There's precedent for his whole culture not talking about something if it doesn't want to talk about it. Oh, they're they're an amazingly repressed people, but they're smart. I'll give them that. Boy, boy. and boy, are they pacifists mostly. Except they have phasers, right? (laughs) If you can get past hello, if you can get past hello with a Vulcan, then it's fine. Just you know that 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 first. What do they call that? What do they call that, Kent? Nah, something that's like, hey, I can't remember. I can't. I don't speak Vulcan, man. No, I mean uh, the Vulcan hello. The Vulcan hello. Yes, I know. It's, it's, yes. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, oh, sorry. Joke. No, it's okay. Uh, Paul, anything else on your mind tonight? No, I'll let someone else take my turn. So uh, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you guys next time. We're in the Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate you calling in. Yes. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call, 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one tap on your smartphone to join us by video, which people are doing tonight. Thank you very much, people. Um, or go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod, and join us there. Uh, Jason has done one of those things. I don't know which one he's done, but I know he's done it. Uh, Jason, how's it going? Doing good. How about yourself? Doing all right. What's on your mind tonight? Doing good. Um, lots, but I actually had a real quick question, uh, since you are a resident Star Trek II fanatic. Okay. Who did it better, Spock's funeral or Arium's? Well, Spock's, because they're just, they're just hearkening back, aren't they? I mean, I don't understand. So like, what is the, so here's a question, honestly. (laughs) So they, they put her on that big rotunda thing, right? And then that thing goes down in the ground, like down a floor, then what? It's like a remote. It went out the, it went out the uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers shoots in the back of Discovery for whatever yeah. reason. Plus, there were no, there was no, you know, because Kirk stood there and he stood in the place where he was going to talk and he stood there and he talked and it made sense. And, you know, I mean, you, you've watched Larry and I tonight have already stepped on each other like five times. You know that like when you know, somebody would have stopped talking and then both Tilly and Burnham would have started to say something about Ariam. Like, oh, are you? 
no, you go. I, I'm, no, no, you go ahead. Well, now I forgot what I was going to say about her. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll go. <laughs> I forgot to. Tilly's most dignified moment. Yeah. Well, they were in the photon torpedo bay in Rathacon and put it yeah. on the launcher and launched it out. And it's a, it's probably a standardized ceremony. Just it's a takeoff of the old naval nautical tradition, right? And yeah, so they're in the they're in the they're in the hangar bay. They're on the turbo. I mean the the, the turbo lift. The, the lift goes down and it goes down the chute that they. If not photon torpedoes, maybe they shoot probes out. I want, now I want to go back and go through. There's a, you know, where did they launch the, when they launched the pods, you know, the first show of the season and yeah. the blue shirt gets it. That was in there too. I was trying to figure out the mechanics of, okay, we're going to go down to the thing and then the pod launcher. It may have supposed to have been the same thing because it seemed like a huge cavern. Yeah, there, there were four tunnels uh, down there when, when they did the quick shots. I assumed it was the same little pod thing, but. Yeah, that, that has to be one of the weirder designs I've seen on the Starship. Maybe a slightly yeah. different level. Maybe you got your four pod level and you got your one pod level and, you know. But uh, yeah. I like how the crew, the four hands came out. First, I was going, is that, are they anti-grabbing it over there or is it on a, is it on a bower with wheels? But they, they move it like 10 feet. They come out, they get it. It's very dramatic and they move it to a certain point. Still in the middle of the round, you know, lift, <laughs> turntable. And then it goes down. And then it's right there to be pulled into the. So I don't know. I you know. I, yeah, I think I think I think Jason, you have you have your answer. <laughs> Not impressed with it. Not impressed with it. Well, I mean, here's the other thing, and I saw somebody, and forgive me, it, it went by really quickly, but somebody was just talking on the Facebook page about um, yeah, the moment where where Kurt sort of gets choked up when he's doing mm-hmm. spots. Uh, you've got the tear. From uh, from Savick, you've got yeah. Scotty playing the bagpipes, which none of us knew he could do. But you know, great, and it's such a, it's such an amazingly touching moment. And then it goes on on this planet of like new life. I mean, it's <clears throat> as Larry said, we need to see like two or three more of these, which may sound terrible, but it needs to not be because right now when you see it, it is hearkening back to Star Trek too. As you mm-hmm. say, it can't be anything but that. So we need to know if this is just a thing they do, in which case. Then you compare them across the board. Otherwise, there's absolutely no comparison because we had 20 years, 20-something. No, not quite 20 years. I'm sorry. 17 years, Larry? 16, 15, 17 with Spock by the time we lost him in Star Trek II? Sure. Well, right. I'm, I'm doing the math poorly. 82, right. Yeah, right. So, okay. I mean, we, so we had... Yeah, so we knew that character through, mm-hmm. through movies, through through the I mean, not through movies yet, through one movie, through the TV show, through the animated series, through through comic books, through novels. I mean, he's been there. One of the complaints that we had last week, and I had last week, we got to know Ariam last week, and she died last week. And so then today, I mean, I understand I'm watching all these people who feel sad, but I didn't feel the same sort of tug mm-hmm. or close to it, just because, you know, a week before last, I didn't even know if she was human. Honestly, or if she ever had been. Was there anything else on your mind tonight, sir? Not trying to rush you. I just want to make sure we get to what you want to talk about. (laughs) Well, there's mostly the funeral thing. The other thing I've really been worrying, I've been curious about is if indeed this red angel is a red herring, but you guys have already chewed that fat quite a bit. So I'll wait and wonder how the hell they're going to get everything fit in in the next four episodes. They've still got a lot to tie off. Well, the Klingon war was still going on at the beginning of the last episode of last season. So you can tie off quite a bit if you set your mind to it. <laughs> yeah, they, I don't think they have a plan to go drop a bomb down the volcano this time around. So That's any true. case, yeah. um, great. Finally glad I got a chance to call in. You guys have been my drive buddies forever. And thank you very much. Thank you very no. much, Jason. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. I, I'm just filling in here, but that, I'll take the compliment. Yeah. What? <laughs> well, I like the Trek. I, I listen to Trek Files too. You're also my drive buddy. So. Oh, thank you. thank you. Thank you. Then you're a Trekophile with an F. Good for you. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Good thanks deal. a lot, man. I appreciate it. Right, Give thanks. us a call back again sometime. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, again, one thing yeah. I'm wondering about the last four shows: Are we going to get back to the? Is the Klingon saga just wrapped up and over there pending? Are we going to have one more, you know, Mother of Kronos uh, visit? That's that's, a, that's an interesting question. I sort of assumed. I mean, once we brought Ash Tyler off that, you know, off Kronos and onto onto Discovery, I, I figured we kind of didn't care anymore. And I'm not saying I didn't care anymore. I actually find what's going on in Kronos fascinating. Um, and, but you know, I, I I don't think we've seen the last of Mary Chifo. Maybe the last this season. 
but I don't, I don't think, I well, don't think we're done with them. That's a question. There's all kinds of questions surrounding the Klingon. The fact that Section 31, I mean, I just have this vibe of a CIA installed, you know, government somewhere in the world, the equivalent. Section 31 helped her assert control over the empire. But then again, it's famously Picard is the one that picked Gowron and, you know, oversaw the process. But that was even on the books. I mean, that was legit. That's, so. that's a different thing, though. I mean, no, but, but the fact that the Klingons, there's so many times the Klingons, for all their pride and bravado, have had outside wanted or unwanted help in picking their leadership. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just a no. I understand that part. Uh, no, it's more like, I mean, you, it almost seems like what you've got at that point is the CIA setting up the Viet, the, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or you've got the CIA setting up the Cold War, but you've also got them setting up the Soviet Union. I mean, the Klingons would have just, you know, fallen apart, but it was more dangerous to have them fall apart. So Section 31 then creates the Klingon Empire, which is still going to be bad guys until Praxis, right? Yes. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. yes. And even then, slow... You know, yeah. It took a while. yeah. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even want to. <laughs> Let's not do that. Let's do this instead. Six six nine nine hundred six eight three three is the phone number to call, or use the one top from your smartphone. Uh, somebody has called in. Now I'm not just calling back to the last caller. I think I am told we have Jason, a different Jason, mm. on the line. Jason two. <laughs> Jason, or do I have the name wrong? Is it us? Do you hear us? No, it, it is you. That doesn't sound like a Jason, though, does it? I'm sorry. I no, um, it's, it's Kayla. I'm here with my husband, Daniel. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. Sorry about getting Hi. your name wrong. What's on? Uh, thank you for calling in. What's on your mind tonight? No worries. Take it away, Daniel. I, I mean, we're we're fans of the podcast and just wanted to wanted to wanted to talk about it. Uh, I I find that I was apprehensive in season one. Really loved the cast. Mm-hmm. I find that I have this sort of radiating goodwill for the characters and the cast this this season that really kind of rises to a level of like TNG, which is that's where I was as sort of like a six year old kid seeing Star Trek for the first time, really falling in love with the whole thing. And I feel like a lot of it came down to the cast and uh, seeing some of these folks on Instagram at each other's weddings and just I realized there's sort of a outside of the narrative, outside of the, the world, um, you know, kind of aspect to that feeling. But it's, I just feel this sort of goodwill uh, for the, the whole the whole cast. Uh, of course, sure, we can have criticisms and things like that. But it's just the first thing that comes to mind getting to say anything on the show. Mm-hmm. So, Can I ask, is there a particular thing that makes this season different than last season as far as, like, do you know why you're getting that now? Um, for me personally, I loved last season a lot in terms of definitely the cast and being able to watch Star Trek, you know, and talk about it from week to week was an experience I hadn't really had as someone who sort of just grew up very young watching uh, Next Generation. But um, last season, I was getting a little weary of the really um, just how just the, the whole Klingon war, right? How we were just focused on that the whole time. I was looking forward to it being able to get to a point where it got a little bit more episodic. Um, it could still have, you know, an overarching story, but this season we've had the red angel taking us through, but we've also had these little side adventures, the new Eden episode, um, you know, little um, subplots that are happening. I mean, with Q and Culver and uh, with uh, Culver and Stamets, sorry. Uh, this season just feels more like it's really found its footing. You feel the same way, Daniel? Yeah, it, it does feel like specifically the writers are, they are writing these character moments. They're tying things together. Part of it for me does feel like pure casting chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it on screen and I see it, you know, in social media. These folks like each other. They hang out. I would not be surprised if 20 years later they are still hanging out with each other. Yeah. I feel like that's a sort of behind the scenes aspect that does make certain Trek shows special. Kind of feels like next generation in that way. I do think that is kind of what ties it together, but, but I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the uh, Colburn Stamets dynamic. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like there's lots of interpersonal um, 
character moments that are being written in. And while while there's the larger thematic didactic stuff that Star Trek is so great at, the parables, it really it really has to hinge on these interpersonal relationships too. I feel like Star Trek is those things yeah. working together. And the best Trek seems to be when those things are happening simultaneously. So, I mean, for me, the second season of a Star Trek, I mean, aside from original series, the second season of a Star Trek series is where that stuff sort of starts to take off. And mm-hmm. it just makes me excited for the future of, of this series. And I, I don't know. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Larry, I'm curious. Go ahead, because I was going to I was going to ask you what your feeling was writing first season, second season. Well, as as we started watching the aired episodes, I was I was I was thinking I was trying to share this with the world that remember, you know, obviously the show didn't blow up, but we had the big showrunner change five episodes in. And not that there's this bright white line here because shows are in prep and they're coming out of prep and all that. So within two to three episodes of season of episode five i was curious to see what the change in showrunners had done besides oh are they pulling the scope back did they you know one of those reasons was did they blow all the budget the first five and now everything else is going to be really contained bottle shows and let visual effects carry the scope or and not do so much with live action but part of this has also been wondering just this whole process i think it's a process both for the creatives and for the audience for the fans watching it's still a thing, no matter how many years of, you know, Game of Thrones or, or Walking Dead that you've watched to apply the modern serialized storytelling lens to the mm-hmm. Star Trek that we all know. Unless I can find people who had no experience with Star Trek, they were not fans until Discovery. If they come to Discovery fresh, that's why I've been on this Discovery fan first uh, hunt for people. I'd love to talk to them, but everybody else, we're saddled. With having lived in the prior, you know, 20, 30, 40 years where our Star Trek is a certain thing. And even though we intellectualize and say, well, it's it's going to be more cinemagraphic and it's going to be darker and it's going to move at a different pace. And streaming, obviously, commercial networks had commercial breaks here. And these are all just kind of artificial devices to break up the drama when we go to black and and we're not paying for and we're paying to avoid commercials. But I, I still think the audience... And and the creatives are adjusting to how Star Trek looks in a serialized format. And some of the criticisms are, it's I said the other day, it's like tr- learning to drive a car and you're like jamming on the brake and then hitting the gas and then jamming on the brake and hitting the gas. And this, the finesse of, you know, the reveals and all that are one of the hallmarks of, of, of serialized storytelling. But at the end of the day, when you've got the whole Blu-ray set sitting there, you've got the whole season line on your, on your, you know, streaming chart and 20 years from now, how are you going to think of this series? How are you going to think of the season by season? What will, what will blend together? The thing that's week to week now is what gets numbers and eyeballs to watch the show and subscribe to all access or, or Netflix or wherever. But what, what will the takeaway be? We, we already in our gut can see and can kind of analyze the difference between season one and season two. And some of that's external factors of being stable. You know, the, it was born in chaos and had a lot of turnover in writers and it's stabilized now and it's much more stable. But even then they're still getting used to this format. And it seems to be, and I'll Ken and, 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 and you, uh, you guys, what do you think? I mean, does it seem like it's getting there? We have those kind of, and then when it's not, maybe then there's a throwback. Um, I say a throwback when maybe we go along and, Oh, there were three or four good episodes in a row. And now this one seems a little, talky or a little jerky or a little on the nose with dialogue. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I, I just kind of intellectually know that that's, it just feel like I'm in a growth. It just feels like we're in an evolution and we want it to be as good as it can be, but it's just part of the process. I don't know. Yeah. Guys, go ahead. If you got, if you got a really quick response to that, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I, I would just say that I think the evolution is really exciting. I personally got so excited in the last episode when, um, Spock and Michael had that exchange when they were playing chess. Um, I'm a, I'm an actor. I teach theater and I found that scene to get so Shakespearean in that, like during their dialogue, I could hear like iambic pentameter rhythms happening and it was so heightened and it made me think a little bit of Shatner. And I just found that so exciting. So that's a little bit of a, um, of a tangent, but 
just saying, um, just echoing what he, what, uh, what Larry was saying before the, the throwbacks are great. I think it's just, it's, it's exciting and interesting to watch the show evolve and yeah, to think about sort of how it's going to be remembered and regarded. Carol, can I ask you real quick? Do you remember having that feeling about scenes that much in season one? Do I? Um, uh, I don't remember as, I, I would say maybe not. Um, maybe not. In, in, in season one, I think like Daniel was saying, it's characters really that stick out more. Just like really falling in love with like the Tilly character and, the, and Saru and watching Saru's growth this season has been incredible. Um, so I think I do remember some specific things from season one, but nothing has really excited me as much as that sort of Shakespearean bit that I mentioned. Well, just real quick to button it, I, I, what you just said is what I'm thinking. They're feeling the comfort zone to be able to do that and still yet fulfill all, you know, the, the check marks they have to do to still be a streaming adventure series that people expect some reveals and some mystery, yeah. but finding mm-hmm. a better way to finesse it. I hate to, I hate to cut this conversation short, but we got about four minutes left and one more caller to get to. So, okay. uh, can thank I, you. No, uh, Caitlin, Daniel, thank you you both very much for calling in, and please call back in again sometime, okay? Thank you. Will do. Thank you. Uh, really quickly, and I'll do this super fast, want to remind you that about 30 minutes after this show ends, Priority One begins. Uh, Facebook.com slash Priority One podcast. Uh, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony uh, get together. They record their show. They do it live. They do it live, but then they edit it later, and then uh, it comes out as a podcast on Friday. So if you can't stay up that late tonight... Uh, subscribe to Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, wherever you get podcasts. But if you can stay tonight, do because it'll be fun. Oh, they got a special guest tonight. Elijah's not there, so so stick around and find out who that is. I'll give you one hint: it's not Larry Nemechek. Uh, I would normally give out the number here, but we got about three minutes left, so let's go to Carol if we can. Carol, hi. Thanks for taking the calls and thanks for doing this show. This is so great. I have listened to Mission Log from the very beginning and I am a low vision person. So I get a lot of my instruction from watching the podcast, not being able to see as well. Um, You know, I'd like to say that I find both seasons to be very good. I think we live in such a world now that we are always performing and we're just not in the moment and we're over analyzing so much. I was saying to the other people who were waiting to be on the call, I was saying, let's think of the whole history of all the Star Trek characters throughout history. Most of them didn't, we didn't know about their siblings, Bashir, Cisco. I mean, you go to any of the series and, you know, there isn't that much talk. I mean, there's probably the exception of Picard and the, the double kanger for Riker, but you know, I think this Star Trek, because of the time we live in, is held to such a high standard. And I feel sorry for the writers and directors because they're pulled in either one of the two ways, canon or to make something creative. And so I really kind of feel like they're between a rock and and a hard place. Thoughts, Larry? Well, I, I was going to say Next Generation, after going seven years, they had what fourth season, fifth season, sixth season. One of those seasons became the year of the family. And it was almost like, hey, what happened to Jordy? We haven't totally fleshed his family out like we have done for everyone else. And a little bit with, with, with Beverly. But uh, that was a very family oriented. But they were here. They weren't fighting a war like DS9. And they weren't lost in the Delta Quadrant and had to you know find their folks by hologram or long distance um, vacuum tube or whatever. But, um, and the original series wasn't a big deal aside from Spock's family, because that became dramatic. Well, no, we didn't, we didn't see George Kirk die. Didn't we? Was it George? That was, uh, that was Kirk's brother. George Samuel Kirk. Yes. Although he seems to have forgotten that by the end. I'll tell you, honestly, Carol, um, there is a lot of me that wishes that we hadn't introduced Spock into the mix, but they have handled it much better than, I was afraid they were going to. I I like Ethan Peck as Spock, and I'm starting to come around to their treatment of his character as well. Um, Part of me wishes it hadn't happened, honestly, but they've done done an admirable job uh, picking up a character that is so beloved with people. And you're right. 
it's like I was saying earlier to Larry uh, or to, uh, to, to Paul when he was on, we had 16 years before we lost Spock. So we had 16 years invested in that character. And then when they said, hey, we're bringing Spock, we got 53 years invested in this character now. And so I think the older the character becomes, the more precious people are about it. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Well, I, and, and I think Ethan Peck is great. I would yeah. love to see him on another series. But again, I, you know, the producers and the directors and the people who own the show, I, I just don't know how much they can do of of shows. I, well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, they seem to be going for it. Hey, Carol, I hate to do this, but we're actually past the time that we were supposed to stop. So I'm going to thank you very much for calling in and do please give us a call back again. OK, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Larry. Thank you very much for filling in for Mr. Champion tonight. That is, uh, I really do appreciate your coming by. I want to let everybody know that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Earl Green. And do visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, and what? The Track Files. You betcha. <laughs> if you'd like to help support Mission Log directly, that'd be great. Patreon.com slash mission log is the place to do that thanks to everybody who joined us live or later and we'll talk to you next week podcast.roddenberry.com the roddenberry podcast network